0: This episode is brought to you by our affiliate, Gemini. Gemini is a well-respected cryptocurrency exchange started by Cameron and Tyler Winklevoss. If you're interested in purchasing Bitcoin, Ethereum, or other altcoins, please check out their website at gemini.sjb.io backslash Moontower to learn all about it. Welcome back, everybody, to the Moon Tower Business Podcast. This is your host, Joseph O'Bell. And Today, I'm speaking to Hall Martin, who is the founder and CEO of 10 Capital Networks. Hall, how are you doing today? Doing fine, Joseph. Uh, Glad to be here with you today. Thank you for being here, Hall. Maybe before we we jump into the conversation, maybe you can just kind of introduce yourself to uh, listeners and just talk a little bit about your background. Sure.
1: So I'm Hall Martin. I'm the CEO and founder of 10 Capital. It was originally called Texas Entrepreneurs Network. My background is I started three angel networks in Texas back in the, the 2000s, 2006, seven and eight. One central Texas angel network here in Austin and then Baylor angel network in Waco and the Wilco angel network in uh, Williamson County, just north of Austin and had a great ride with that. Really enjoyed it. I was working for a, a large company at the time and had been there for 20 years and uh, decided around 2009 that uh, I really wanted to get back to the early stage world. Because that's where I really enjoyed the uh, work at the big company, and also working with uh, startup founders and, and angel investors. Because I put that together, and so retired from my day job and started the company called Texas Entrepreneurs Network, and we were helping startups raise funding from angels with introductions, getting documents ready, et cetera. We did funding forums around the state. I had a, a investment thesis at the time uh, that said that for every ten thousand people in a the city, there was one angel investor. Lubbock, for example, had a hundred thousand people. So there was there's 10 angel investors there. And sure enough, when we got there, there's 10, 10 people came out to our funding forum. And back then it was the dinner club model. We went downtown in Austin to the headliners club and everything was downtown at the headliners club. And I kept looking at what we were doing, thinking, well, you know, we could do some of this online, uh, but we're we're down here at the headliners club. And then I looked over at the wine bar and said, Oh yeah, that's why we're down here. So there's a strong social component to angel groups that is good and is always there. But, you know, there's a lot of work that goes with angel investing, screening deals, doing diligence and so forth and syndicating deals and supporting the company that, uh, more and more as it went along, it became clear. we, We have to do more than, uh, just meet downtown. We really have to be online. We have to have tools. And, and so that's, that's where I came into my program was helping, uh, foster that uh, community of startups and investors in startups to be more successful and I have since grown the program quite a bit we kept uh, adding more investors to our network from even beyond texas between 2010 and 2016 i was going to primarily to san francisco and new york to find venture capital cuz that's where they were back then now they're everywhere and then about 2016 i had a whole bunch of family offices come into my network so today we, we have over 15,000 investors in our network. And we decided to go national because we were getting calls from outside of Texas, people in Seattle, Chicago, and other places, even New York and the Bay Area calling me up saying, I want access to your investor network. How do we do this? So we changed the name to 10 Capital. That's what 10 stands for, was Texas Entrepreneurs Network, and started working around the country.
0: Gotcha. So I guess to step back a little bit, what I guess, got you interested in what really drew you to angel investing and to uh, investing with startup companies?
1: Well, when I was an undergrad, you know, my father got me into you know, investing in uh, funds, you know, stock market funds. And then when I went to graduate school, we started doing sector funds and started to get more specific. And when I graduated, we started doing individual stocks. And if you just keep working your way up that curve, you eventually come to angel investing. You eventually do more than just public stocks. You now do private and the world's a little bit different there. There's not as much regulatory. There's uh, the deals aren't aren't on a ticker board. You have to go out and talk to people. And but but there the opportunity for bigger returns was there as well. So uh, I worked for a company in Austin, and they went public in '95, and started doing angel investing after that. And we had an angel network at that time called the Capital Network. They ran from '95 to about 2002, and so I joined and went to the group meetings and. I watched people stand up in, in the late 90s. People don't remember that much now, but back then, they, were, they would ask for $5 million to start a web business. And you have to think back at that time, you had to build everything. You couldn't buy anything. Uh, you had to create your own server farm. You had to code in HTML. You had to pay American wages for everything. So it was expensive. And I made one investment and then lost all my money and started to realize, oh, this is harder than it looks. It's not as easy as, as it may be. And so I kept thinking, well, yeah, I really want to invest with other people. And like I say, you know, in the, the capital network went out in 2002 because they were a little bit tied to the dot-com world. And so we didn't have an angel network. In 2006, the city did a restart, and they called it the Central Texas Angel Network. And I wanted to get back and start working with uh, angel investors to learn more how to do this. And so I joined as a member, and I turned out as the first member. And when you're the first member, you're automatically on the board in charge of membership. It's a great honor. There's no pay, but it's a great honor and did that for several months. And then we lost our director. So I stepped into the role as the director for the first two years. And we ended up getting about 5 million invested in 20 deals, we grew the investor group to about 50 members. And we got you, recently with the last exit out of that group, we got, I think overall, we got about a 35X return for the investors. So it was a big win and that, that propelled the group onward for sure. And then I got a call from my undergraduate university, Baylor, wanted an angel network out of the university alumni association. And when you go to a university, the key there is it's not about money. I remember when I was running CTAN, I went over to UT Austin once and I went to the alumni association and said, hey, I think you guys ought to start an angel network. And they were very interested in that. But the the two mistakes I made is, number one, I walked into the room alone. You you in a university you never walk in the room alone. You bring a business school sponsor, you know, a faculty member with a golden reputation who's going to watch over you because the last thing a university wants is people running around the campus doing things that are not part of the campus curriculum or program. You're doing something new and different, and that angel network's a little bit new and different. So when Baylor called up, we said we we really need a sponsor, and uh, Dr. Bill Petty, who ran the venture finance program, raised his hand and said, well, "I'll be the sponsor. I'll." create the curriculum and I'll, I'll help the students. And the, the second thing is when you talk to the university, you don't talk about making money. I tried that at UT Austin. They said, well, we don't need your money. We have all the money in the world. Um, What you talk about is basically student engagement and job placement. And we're going to have a better student experience with this. And we're going to help these guys get jobs and this is where they live. And so this is what you really need to focus on. So at the Baylor university one, You put in a a very strong education component where students get course credit for doing the analysis and the presentations and so forth and doing the work. And then they get great jobs afterwards because they've had experience with real deals, real dollars and real investors. And it uh, is a a big deal. So uh, that's what we learned in doing the Baylor one. And I myself, I just like the early stage because when I worked at the big company, I started early on when it was very entrepreneurial and as it got bigger. It just became less so, and I was less happy with it, and decided I want to get back to working with early-stage companies, and that's why I did that.
0: Gotcha. Does Baylor have a research
1: uh, commercialization office? They do now. Back then, when we started, they did not quite have that in place, but it is in place now. Uh, They actually have a facility for it. They've got uh, a new venture fund coming into the Waco area that's helping with it. And so they do more uh, commercialization of the technology coming out of the university.
0: For folks that are not real familiar with that, can you just speak to a little bit kind of high level of how that works and, you know, the research that is, is conducted by students and professors and then how that, all, that turns into, you know, patents and companies ultimately? Sure. So, they,
1: they, you know, when you have a research component, you know, technologies come out of it that are worth commercializing. Not all of them, but some percent do. I worked with the UT Austin commercialization group on many events and program as well to commercialize the technology and and the key is you you need to go find a a business contact that will work with the professor to help commercialize it. Many professors are they're very busy and they're typically on the the build it side versus the sell it side. And and in a startup world the, the you need a complete team at all times and in the early stage, you know, there's somebody building it and there's somebody selling it. No fair, we're all building it and nobody's selling it. And so you have to match up the technology. Number one, it's worth marketing and commercializing because the market's big enough and we think it'll be successful. And number two, you need to build a team that's going to take this out and license it to them for a period of time to see if they can make a run at raising money and then starting the business itself. And so, uh, like I say, there's many different uh, tools to help you do that. Uh you know shopping patents is the the alternative to commercialization is simply to license the patents out to others and they do with it as they like, but if you do startups well then there's a potential bigger gain as well as there's more jobs that you're creating in your area
0: gotcha. What year was it when you uh when you joined the uh ctam here in austin uh so we started
1: in two thousand six and i I was there from two thousand six to two thousand end of two thousand seven almost eight at which point Baylor called me, and so we started the band program, you know, I was helping them before I finished C-10, but they started around 2008 and have been working since then as well.
0: So the the startup scene in Austin and in Texas generally has evolved quite a bit uh, over the years. How have you seen it kind of change, like from at least 2006 to today? And, you know, I know that for a long time, there was an issue with, uh, you know, access to capital in this area and investors, angel investor networks, et cetera, like that. Um, How have you seen that progress kind of as well over the years? Sure. So in Austin back then, we had, I think, two incubator
1: accelerators in town, Austin Technology Incubator, and then one at the University of Texas. So there wasn't much there. Uh, I remember when I I went out to look at the startup scene in the early 2000s because I was looking for deals and so forth. And it was a bit hard to find where they were. It was a bit opaque. And there was no list. And I found a few lists. It had like five names on it. So one of the first things I did before I ever started Ctan was, even while I was still working, I went and created a list of a hundred groups that had something related to startups and professional organizations, incubators, co-working spaces, events. You know, there were different rise programs and so forth going on back then that really fostered the community. It was smaller, but it was also very dedicated to the startup world. And so I had over a hundred on there, and uh, used that to really help grow it and provide some cohesion. And so when other cities come to me and say, well, what should I do? I say, you should inventory all of the resources in your area and put them on a website so everybody can find out where everyone else is and maybe put a, a jobs board up there and then keep your events up to date of what's going on to just keep people informed. As it gets bigger, it'll split off into smaller groups. But in the early stage, just having it in one place makes a big difference in raising awareness of those who want to
0: participate. So you know, more and more companies, uh, startup companies, you know, in particular, are moving to Texas uh, and have been doing so for a long time. Um, you know, there's no, you know, uh, state income tax is one of the big deals, and regulatory is another uh, a reason folks move here. What other factors do you see, uh, you know, reason for startups to move to Austin and set up shop here?
1: Well, I, I think the uh, I once did an article for the Austin Business Journal. It's called the. The 12 tribes of the Austin Entrepreneur Ecosystem. And I researched all the big groups. And uh, one of the groups I went to was the university. And it, it wasn't really high profile in my mind until I started researching and find out how much really came out of the university. So many students, so many professors, so many technologies, so many uh, jobs, and so many events. And it was just a lot of resources. It was really the granddaddy of them all. And it, they didn't really spend a lot of time you know, self-promoting themselves. So most people didn't really recognize that. But I think having a good university that's bringing in students who want to start a business, that that's one of the key things for Austin is you have a world-class university that's attracting students here on a regular basis and then feeding them into the community. And at the university, there's a fair number of classes and courses in entrepreneurship, business finance, and uh different uh things going on with you know Texas venture labs and so forth to take people down that path so i think that's one of the key ones that we have here austin's a great place to live so quality of life was good it, it attracts a lot of people at that age that want to join startups be a part of startups so we get a lot of transplants from other areas as well it's relatively low cost compared to the west coast and east coast so we found a lot of people moving here because they could still you can still bootstrap a company for many years. I think it's getting more expensive now. But the ability to start a business at very low cost is a, is a key factor. You can live cheap in Austin if you want to. You have to live a little bit further out from the center, but you can do it. And that, that's a big factor as well. I, I, I talk to people that are startups in London, and I, I really don't know how they pay the rents and do a startup at the same time when you're in a high-cost area like that. And I think that hampers them a little bit.
0: What do you think about uh, some of the local accelerator programs and, and uh, incubator programs, such as Capital Factory, um, Tech Ranch, and uh, what you're working on is uh, the, the Skew Incubation Station? Is that right?
1: Yeah. So you know, with with you know, we have a lot of ex- uh, programs here, and uh, Sherry Win Wessler of uh, Monster Win Wessler Law Firm came to me and said she she wanted to do something for the local startup scene. What should we do? And we looked around, and you know, Tech Ranch and all the others had pretty much taken up all the tech opportunities that were there. We didn't need another tech deal. But I said, well, you know, when I was at CTN, half our deal flow went into consumer product goods. Nobody's doing CPG. We ought to do CPG. And so we looked, and sure enough, nobody was doing it. But there was a lot of interest, and a lot of startups here in town as well. You know, a lot of them came here because of Whole Foods. Whole Foods attracts. Uh, the foodie and the the consumer product good because it's a, a premier brand and you get premier pricing and so forth. And so we started an accelerator originally called Incubation Station and later called changed the name to SKU SKU for you know the the item on the shelf that you track it with. And so had a lot of fun with that. You know we had several cohorts come through. We built a a really great mentor. Uh, board, that's one of the key things you you should do in building an accelerator is you build it on successful serial entrepreneurs. I, I talked to many a chamber that's got a vision to build something else, but you know, you know, they want to build it on space or whatever. Well, what do you have with that already? We don't have anything. Well, this is going to be tough. You really want to build it on on su- current success that you have. And I felt like we had good success with companies and startups and Whole Foods here in town that we should really anchor a CPG accelerator onto
0: it. So that's how we got to SKU. Gotcha. Um, Can you talk a little bit more about the, uh, uh, you know, 10 capital and, you know, just maybe talk a little bit about the investors that you have. Uh, How many are there? How often do you all meet to consider deals? What is the, what does the pipeline look like, et cetera? Sure. So, you know, 10 capital,
1: we now have about 15,000 investors that sign up to our program, investors don't pay a fee like we did with the angel group. It's really, you know, the investors are putting in the money and doing the diligence. So they really don't need to have us work with, you know, pay us a fee or whatever. But what we do is we are about 50% are technology-based, about 25% are consumer product organized, and about 25% are healthcare or life science uh, interested. And so it's venture-level investors, about a third are VC, a third are angel, and a third are family offices. And so that's what we do: is we are basically running investor relations and matching s- startups and investors together.
0: Is there a uh, minimum requirement for investors who want to be part of the uh, Ten Capital? And are, are you accepting uh, additional investors, or what does that look like?
1: Sure. So you have to be an accredited investor. You know, most of the deals we do now are Reg D offerings. You have to be accredited, and so we look for that that level of. Uh, certification. The SEC decides that, not me. And so if you meet that criteria, great, come on in. We are seeing more interesting crowdfunding deals. We get a lot, about half our companies are going to go and run a crowdfunding raise because it's just yet another source of funding from a group of people. Campaign metrics are a little bit different, but uh, it's money is money. And so people do that as well. And you know, come one, come all, we, we're pretty much all, all online now. Uh, when we put the program together, we we and went national national with it. We really had to move away from doing local events and start doing everything online. And during the pandemic, that was a big plus. You know, we we didn't really change what we did. In fact, it accelerated what we did because everybody now had to communicate through Zoom and be
0: online. And so it was just a standard way of operating for everybody. Gotcha. D- didn't the uh, definition of accredited investor change not too long ago, or, or it was being considered? Uh for folks that had like knowledge of of finance and investing that didn't maybe meet the dollar uh, amount requirement. Um, I I can't remember how that ended up, but I know that was a discussion at some point.
1: So they're, they're trying to expand the uh, definition of uh, a credit investor to take into account people's experience. And so if you take a series 69 compliance test and pass, well, you are now accredited. If you work on a venture fund, you are accredited if you're in a family office structure, you are accredited and so they started recognizing those other groups of people that are very i won't say sophisticated investors but they're they're knowledgeable investors that uh know what they're doing and so the s e c is inviting them to come in because the the world is continuing to move forward there's many more startups there's so much more information now than there was when I started out there back then you know angel groups were this uh you know you no know, smoking mirrors, you know, voodoo thing going on. We you know, you didn't know what was going on behind the scenes and so forth. But today everybody knows how they work. Everybody knows what's to credit. Everybody knows how you pitch. Everybody knows how you raise money. Everybody and so it's it's so much uh more information now that uh you can actually allow more people to come in because you it is what what has not changed is the success metrics. You know, one in 10 is a success, one in 10 is going to go under, two or three will have a a good uh a return, and then the rest are going to be lifestyle businesses with little or no return. And that, that really hasn't changed since I started. The formats have changed, but not the principles of fundraising and in startup investing.
0: I'm sure you've been involved in uh, quite a few startup investments over uh, your career. Is there a particular sector or uh, industry or type of uh, startup that you prefer in, when considering deals? Well, you know, the SaaS
1: based business is the preferred method, I think, of many startups or startup investors because you get recurring revenue, platform based business. You get a lot of good things that, you know, a 10x valuation on the revenue that makes it much more attractive than the 1.5x you get for a service business. So, uh, you know, SaaS based businesses are, are certainly the, the ones that most people try to get to. Even hardware companies are getting into hardware as a service. Uh, to be a part of the SaaS model because of the efficiency and the valuation that comes with it. I do, do find value in consumer product goods like we were doing at SKU. I think there's a lot of great uh, things you can do with those because as the millennials came into focus, what I found is they, they wanted their own brands. They didn't want uh, grandpa's brand, they wanted their own brand. And they were actively switching over to other products and summer subscription-based to be a part of that.
0: So, you know, in the past few years, uh, cryptocurrency technology, um, including, you know, NFTs and things like that have really blown up. Uh, what are you seeing in kind of your space in, in, in terms of uh, accelerator programs uh, in, in the startup investment world? Are, are, are you seeing a lot more deals in that space? What, what are your thoughts on it generally?
1: Sure. We, we did a lot with the blockchain and crypto back in 2017 and 18 when it was first hot had a lot of ICOs and white paper things come through and it, it was very tough for investors to really fit, sort out what was real and what wasn't. And so we, we had a little bit of engagement, but not a lot. And then four years later, we come back to it and we find that now with blockchain, people have built meaningful networks and substantial applications. And so things are standing up. And so we're seeing a lot of interest from investors to come back in there for the DeFi, decentralized finance, and for the NFTs, non-fungible tokens, and for the metaverse, and then just the the Web three world promise is yet uh, the next generation of enterprise uh, software technology is going to be built around that, and it'll take a while. Just like you know, Web two took twenty years to come into fruition, this is another twenty year uh, haul. So uh, you know, building out infrastructure now, and then starting to see some interesting applications come out is what we're seeing. But you, the promise is there for the next generation that look really
0: exciting, and so we find a lot of investors very interested in it. And do you think specifically in terms of the metaverse, I mean, I've seen a lot of people buying digital real estate and that prices continue to rise like crazy in that space. Do you think there's actually a a future in that, uh, in the metaverse?
1: Absolutely. I think so too. You know, One of the things we had in Austin back in the 90s was one of the third largest gaming community in the country. We had 150 studios here. Uh, Unfortunately, studios were a little hard to monetize because they really weren't going to sell the studio. They were just selling the titles. So we got into revenue based funding and some other models itself, but you know, they were doing a lot of cutting edge things and it was predicted that gaming would overtake uh, the other forms of media, movies, music, and so forth. And indeed they have. And it's got it because it was more participatory. You can actually be a part of it and be in the game versus just watching it. So, and technology, of course, proliferates it and. There's so many different titles and new technologies coming out that it was, it's, it's a, a great place to go into. And metaverse is, is taking a lot of those concepts and moving it to the next level and creating communities where you can actually do business in it. You can actually do social into it. You can do more than just play games. And I think that's just the next evolution of gaming to the next level.
0: Gotcha. The pandemic has changed the the world for, uh, in all different types of businesses and, and industries. Uh, uh, it's affected the startup world as well. You know, folks uh, can work from home and, you know, can work from anywhere in the world now. Um, what have you seen in the startup space and, you know, in the startup uh, investment community when the, since the pandemic has hit, has hit uh, the world? Well, it's really accelerated a whole new set of
1: uh, businesses. Uh, we see uh, we're starting a new startup venture cycle here post-pandemic. Investors really don't care what happened to the startup uh, before or during COVID. But after COVID, how are you coming out of it? Because we're on a new track here. And so I think it's really done a lot to uh, accelerate things, to move online. There's so much more efficiency now with Zoom calls as opposed to business travel. And, uh, you know, startups have found a whole new set of applications and products to sell because the world shifted to a new model more quickly than it would have gotten there otherwise. Gotcha. You're, and you're a,
0: uh, you're a professor at UT Austin, is that right?
1: That's right. That's right. So I uh, help uh, run a class called I Did IT, and we take four students out of the engineering department, and we put a business school student, an engineering student, and a law school student on each deal. And we have them go through and get three hours of course credit, basically doing market research. They come up with a one-page business plan, like an exec summary. They come up with a one-page uh, set of claims for their patents, and then they come up with a one page on the actual, what are we going to build, you know, prototype. And you had to make some decisions. What are we going to build and how are we going to implement this in the market? And people get a, a, a good practice with trying to sort those things out.
0: Do uh, Have you seen in, in your time there, uh, folks that kind of, after they complete this project, they move forward with that concept or venture and keep going with it?
1: Uh, absolutely, they do. They, they go and they actually go and put together uh, businesses, uh, two of the four, Uh, for a while, would actually go and start a business. And I could tell on day one who that was because they wanted to start a business versus uh, this looks interesting. Let's try this out. And uh, of course, it takes a lot to start a business and it is for those who really wanted to go forward. Have you enjoyed that experience? I did. It was a lot of fun seeing those guys launch uh, businesses and see those grow. That's great.
0: You also host a podcast called the Investor Connect Podcast. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. It's called Investor Connect. You can find it
1: at investorconnect.org. And it's about connecting startups and investors. It's an educational tool so people can learn about the fundraising process and the early stage world through that means.
0: Is it, a, do, you, do you interview folks or is it just kind of a, a conversation with different people? How does that, what's the format of the podcast? Ah, uh, it's interviews. We
1: interview startup investors and startup founders, and we talk about what they invest in and how they invest and in what what are best practices and so forth. We've done about 650 interviews so far, and then we have a, a two-minute podcast called the Startup Funding Espresso. The time it takes to drink an espresso, you can learn something about startup funding, and there is just a, a, a listing of of on a topic in a short order. So it. Uh, it's very granular. You can build uh, you know, blog posts and e-guides and other things out of those things. But it's a great way to get a daily shot of uh, startup funding and, uh, and investing.
0: Gotcha. South by Southwest was uh, just happened here recently in Austin. Did you participate in any events or with any of your organizations? We went to some of the investor events that uh, outside investors coming to Austin
1: did well. So we did that and had a lot of fun with it, getting back to the physical thing. And uh, the, the, the case of, um, of South by Southwest
0: coming back in person. Excellent. Uh, was well, there anything that we, we didn't chat about that you kind of would like to highlight about any of the stuff you're working on with, uh, with listeners?
1: Well, we, we are always helping startups raise funding and helping investors learn how to invest in early stage. So if anybody has any questions about that, uh, we do have, a uh, you know, events every month that they can join. On a website, 10 you can find those events and you can actually get involved with that.
0: So for listeners that want to learn uh, more about uh, 10 Capital or, um, in, uh, you know, the, the SKU incubation station or want to follow you online, what's the best way to follow you on the Internet?
1: Oh, you can find me on LinkedIn under Hall Martin or you can
0: find me online at 10capital.group. Those are the two best ways. Excellent. And uh, one question I ask all my guests at the end here is, uh, what is your favorite restaurant in Austin, Texas? Uh, love the Green Mesquite. Got to go there for the uh, peach cobbler as often as we can. Excellent. Great place. Awesome. Well, Hall, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, uh, sharing a little bit about the stuff you're working on. Uh, I think it's great stuff. Uh, enjoyed visiting with you, and hopefully we can have you get on the podcast sometime. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Enjoyed thank it. You. Yep. This episode is brought to you by our affiliate Gemini. Gemini is a well-respected cryptocurrency exchange started by Cameron and Tyler Winklevoss. If you're interested in purchasing Bitcoin, Ethereum, or other altcoins, please check out their website at gemini.sjv.io backslash Moontower to learn all about it. Thank you.